The spirit of performance is what defines Acura. And now, it's electric. Introducing the ZDX, Acura's most powerful SUV yet. Crafted using the same formula that brought them electrified supercars and multiple IMSA championships, the ZDX has track-tested performance that packs an energy all its own. Unlock the energy and order yours at Acura.com. Pure Hoops Podcast, Episode 10. We are back. Eric Newman, BJ Armstrong, March Madness has arrived. The good, the bad, and the ugly of the Western Conference. The Spurs are surging, the Thunder are struggling, and the Lakers, well, we'll try to explain. We'll go back to the 90s and more. But before we check ball, here's a word from the newest member of the Pure Hoops family. Hey, Pure Hoops fans, I'm Monica McNutt, and I'm pumped to announce my podcast rolling out April 11th, Buckets, Boards, and Blocks. We're going to do it every Thursday. Hopefully, we'll have some conversations with your favorite hoopers. We'll get to their journey in the game, what makes it special, why they love the game, all of that good stuff. So please check it out. It's Buckets, Boards, and Blocks rolling out on April 11th every Thursday. The Pure Hoops podcast is a presentation of Pure Hoops Media. The Pure Hoops podcast most definitely does reflect the views of our management. Here's three-time NBA champ BJ Armstrong and Eric Newman. Episode 10, the Pure Hoops podcast, recording on Thursday, March 21st, the first day of the NCAA tournament. Eric Newman in New York, B.J. Armstrong out west. I believe he's with the fam, getting a little Palm Springs-esque action in. B.J., welcome to March Madness officially. How are you, buddy? I'm doing well, my friend. How are you? I've got the games on. I've got uh, an undefeated bracket through two and a half hours of basketball. And uh, my false confidence on knowing the 64 teams in the field is, is really high right now. So I'm feeling terrific. Oh, you know what? You got to pick those upsets in order to win in those brackets. So uh, good luck. I, I, I'm, I'm horrible like most at those brackets. Well, to pat myself on the back, I picked Minnesota right over Louisville in game one. By the way, you're the committee and there's any chance of Richard Pitino, Rick Pitino's son, coaching Minnesota against Louisville. Like, you have to, you have to like try to not make that happen, right? Like, I, I, I saw the matchup and then I saw the pictures of them and I was just like, somebody wanted that to happen, which I just find crazy. I don't know if that crossed your mind at all, but just something I found very entertaining uh, at the beginning of the day today. Eric, I must admit, it didn't cross my mind. <laughs> two, di two different lenses, my friend. Two different lenses. Yeah, it didn't cross my mind, but now that you said it, I find it very interesting, but I'm sure that's just the way uh, it, it, all, it played itself out. It's just the way the old 7-10 matchups uh, found each other. But, um, you know, the college game, as we've talked about, and you shared some great stuff from your Iowa days on, on our last episode, the, the college game has changed. Um, we could sit here and nitpick all we want, but what hasn't changed is the spirit around the tournament, the excitement, the fact that waking up on the first uh, two days of the tournament, the first round action, um, where you've got 16 games a day, that that doesn't change. And um, 
you know, the first thing I wanted to pick your brain on is, um, you know, you, you shared a, a lot about some of the NCAA uh, matchups that you had uh, last show, and, and, and that stuff was, was just gold to, to listen to and process. But, you know, since your days at Iowa, or even in the days prior to you uh, putting an Iowa uniform on, um, as a viewer, as a fan of the game, watching the tournament, what, what are some of the most uh, memorable performances from your eyes when you were uh, a fan and, and not, uh, not in between the lines? Well, growing up in, in Michigan, you know, I was a huge Michigan State fan. So I had a chance to watch, you know, Michigan State and, and Irving Johnson play, you know, Magic, what he was able to do and the excitement in his two years there at Michigan State was just, it was epic for, for all of us, especially being a, uh, wanting to be a basketball player and, and watching how effortless he made the game look, the way he played, he, you know, he did it with a smile on his face. You know, he was doing something that none of us had seen before, you know, a 6'8 point guard play and, and the style in which he played. And I just remember, it just seemed like the entire city of Detroit stopped to watch, you know, Indiana State versus Michigan State. And that, to me, was kind of a, a turning moment for me in my childhood of saying, you know what, that's something that I wanted to do. And uh, so that game, which for many years, I don't know if it still is, was probably the, the most viewed game, um, if not still today. But I just remember it seemed like everything stopped, especially in the city of Detroit, watching, you know, Magic versus Bird, Indiana State versus Michigan State. And obviously they – both of those players went on to have incredible NBA careers, but I remember what they did as collegiate players, and it just seemed like an amazing tournament, amazing game, and I just remember the hype building and surrounding that game, uh, and that was the kind of the moment for me as a, in my childhood that I said, you know what, that's something that I wanted to do. Yeah, that game, of course, changed basketball, changed how basketball was viewed as – uh, appointment television and you know 40 years removed uh, I think the the effects the excitement uh, still being felt today in the most positive nature in terms of how people consume the game the excitement around it and and that was uh, that was some grand scale stuff and you know I, I, I as a kid growing up I, I was obvious you know from New York watching a lot of Big East basketball which I love but I just loved watching all these teams from these other conferences. And, you know, I have great memories of some Michigan State stuff from the late 80s and uh, obviously watching the, the, the Magic Bird matchup, you know, on tape and on those specials that would air. Um, but, I, you know, I, I, I remember Steve Smith and I, I loved watching Sean Respert play in the early 90s and those Big Ten battles. But one of the most memorable things for me that had a, a Michigan theme to it was, you know, 30 years ago watching Glenn Rice and him leading the Wolverines to their, their first national title. And uh, that performance, along with the, the Steve Fisher storyline, taking over the team uh, after the regular season, um, re really just, it, it's so crystal to this day. What do you recall about playing against that team and just how good Glenn Rice was? Well, Glenn Rice was a was a great player. And, 
you know, we graduated high school together and he went to Flint, I want to say Flint Northwestern, I believe, um, in the, in, up there in Flint, Michigan. And there's always so many great players coming out of Flint. Um, the one thing I do remember is that it was Glenn's senior year. And if I recall something, I, I think Frieder either resigned or was fired during the season or what have you. Frieder, Frieder was Frieder announced he was going to take the Arizona State job, yeah, and Bo so, Schembechler yeah. said, "You know what? You can go early. You're out of here." Yeah, he's a he's a, a you know a Michigan man or something like that. Kind of yep, vaguely. Yeah, it was the Michigan man line. Michigan man line, and and Fisher, who's one of the great you know people in the business, and um, just a just a great human being. He's a terrific. I remember him recruiting me. When I was in high school there in the Detroit area, and they go on a run. And Glenn Rice was an incredible shooter throughout his career, and he just caught fire. Like, he just got on like a five or six game run where he was just unstoppable. And um, you know what? Him, I believe Sean Higgins was on that team, Lloyd Vault. Uh, Ramil Robinson, Terry Mills, Terry Ramil Mills, Robinson. Uh, yep. Yeah, they had a great team, and you know we had played those guys a couple times during the the Big Ten season, and they were very talented, uh, no doubt about it. But they just had a run, and Glenn was an exceptional player, and he could always score. I mean, ever since you know I've been knowing Glenn forever, and he could always score the basketball, but he was just scoring at a rate now that was just amazing. He was just. You know, he was just kind of in that zone, and Glenn went on to score, you know, thousands of points in the NBA. So clearly, you know, that, you know, it was just something that was just not a fluke. He was just that's what he does, and he's always done that. And and I remember he just got on a run, and they went on a six-game winning streak. And I and I believe, for some reason, I'm going to say it was in Seattle or somewhere out there. I can't remember exactly where it was at, but I remember they. They they just went on a run and they had an incredible incredible six games in the tournament and they got hot at the right time and of course anytime you have Glenn and you know Terry Mills was a pro Lloyd Vaught was a pro Ramil was a pro Sean Higgins played professionally uh, I believe Mark Hughes was on that team they had a they had a very talented team and they just got hot at the right time. Yep yep strong team and uh, great memory it was in Seattle they defeated Seton Hall coached by the great PJ Carlissimo of course for the national championship uh, we actually have a great piece on this uh, written by a new addition to our Pure Hoops team Scott Turkin on purehoopsmedia.com all about the Glenn Rice uh, performance 30 years ago still still stands as he's got the most points uh, ever in, in the NCAA tournament in one tournament in, in one year so you know really um really great memory there and, and there's so much to take from Michigan and Michigan State over the years and, and I don't want to saturate that all into one episode and ironically I've got Michigan State on against Belmont in the background but um but you know the tournament is uh is underway we've put out a lot of great content uh from the Pure Hoops media side on this stuff so uh as you're listening to us uh dig into our March Madness content and, and BJ will and I will no doubt be uh, hitting on some more March Madness items uh, next week uh, on the eve of the Sweet 16. Uh, the NBA world, of course, uh, does not hit snooze for March Madness. And we've got, 
we've got all kinds of madness going on right now. So the, the, the first thing is Brooklyn Nets, Sacramento Kings this week, and Brooklyn falls asleep coming out of halftime in Sacramento. They go behind by 27 points. I'm sorry, 28 points. And then D'Angelo Russell continues to make a case for uh, potentially most improved player in the league. Scores 27 points in the fourth quarter and leads Brooklyn back. Um, What are you making of this uh, emergence from Russell and him leading Brooklyn now? They're the sixth seed in the East. Was this just a matter of time with this guy? Is it all about the new setting? Uh, how are you? How are you seeing the emergence of D'Angelo Russell? Well, when you start looking at the NBA and and how to evaluate players, um, when I retired in two thousand, you know, I kind of had a, I wanted to work in the front office to see exactly the question that you asked, like how are you know how are these executives evaluating players? And most of the players at that time in the early two thousands were you know sophomores, juniors, seniors that were coming out, that were being drafted in the lottery. Suddenly, right around 2000, right around when Kyrie Irving was drafted, you had a shift. You had a shift where potential became kind of the emergence, if you will, on how to draft the players. Because some of the, the, because some of the players were becoming not only good players in the NBA, but they were emerging as the best players in the NBA, a la Kevin Durant, a la Kobe Bryant. LeBron James, uh, Darius Miles. You had all these high school players who were emerging to be really good players. And now we went from drafting players who traditionally, you know, were players who had performed uh, at the collegiate level to now we were drafting unknown talents who potentially had the uh, difference. Um, so there was a shift in, 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 in the way you looked at it. I... I, I when I look at these players today, D'Angelo Russell, you're, you're referring to now, you know, I, I look at these players, they, they normally come out one or two years max. And, you know, I think he was a one and done kid as well from Ohio State. Yep. One and, and done. yeah, so this is what, like his fourth year or something? This is right around his third or fourth year in the NBA, uh, right around there. So this is about the time where you would normally begin to see a young man come into the NBA and show glimpses of what he could do. Um, so to see a player do this now, yeah, yeah, this is about normal. The problem is, you know, we're, we're having to wait four, five, six years before we find out who these players are. And normally we don't have the patience or traditionally we don't have the patience to find out whether a player can play five or six years down the road. You know, um, I think that's kind of what's what's very intriguing about what happened up there in Philadelphia. Trust the process. Without question, you draft these players one and done. You draft these players from Europe. If you're not prepared to spend a minimum of five to six years to find out whether they can play, then it's probably not worth your time to go through the draft. But we all know as executives who've been in that league, it's impossible to build a team without going through the draft because of the financial ramifications of trying to not only acquire players, but you got to retain the players. So on one hand, we want to win and win now. And then on the other hand, you want to be able to build a team. And the only way that you can do it, 
as all of the executives know, all of the executives know is to do it through the draft. So to find out D'Angelo Russell four or five years later that this is what he's doing, well, there was a reason he was drafted, you know, two, three, he or was, in he the was lottery. Drafted, he, was, he, he was drafted second overall. Yeah, he's 23. I mean, this is his fourth year. This is a gr- it doesn't matter what era we're in, right? What what's one of the common phrases about the NBA? This is a grown man's league. So, right. a 19-year-old point guard for as high as the potential is, for as high as he's taken in the draft, he is still not ready most likely, okay? Unless his name is LeBron James to be ready on day 1 to play in a grown grown's man grown man league. Now, when we talk about Russell, I think there's two things to talk about here. It's the track he was on regarding player development, and it was some of these maturity things that presented themselves in L.A., mainly the incident with him leaking something uh, to do with Nick Young off of his phone and the Lakers, unfortunately, making a choice that is clearly looking questionable, if not foolish at this point. So regarding Russell and pivoting to the Lakers, are the Lakers an organization that know what it takes or have the patience to develop young talent because there's been some really questionable decisions made this being one of them but i want your opinion on this player development thing because you've lived that from from multiple sides well it's a very interesting question because you know i when i retired in 2000 i saw the kind of the shift in the nba where suddenly now we're talking about player development. And to hear player development associated with the NBA just seems very awkward and, and kind of weird to me because when I, growing up in the NBA, that wasn't the place where you developed. You went to the sure. NBA when you could perform. So performance to me was always the X factor growing up of when you went to the NBA. If you weren't ready to perform, that wasn't the place where you you went to experiment. You went there when you were ready to play, absorb the, the pressure and the demands of being a professional. Again, I saw the shift. Um, when I retired in 2000, I was able to witness the draft of, like I think it was Elton Brand in like 99 to the Bulls, right around there. And then it was, you're, and you're I read, remember. You're, you're, reading, you're reading my mind, and I just yeah. want to. I'm pivoting back to you. That that's when you saw a lot of these freshmen starting to come out after one yeah, year, right, 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 right on the cusp there. of you retiring. Yeah, right, somewhere around there. And then I remember the following year, it was Kenyon Martin, and and it stood out to me because I re, I remember the shift because Kenyon Martin had a great college career uh, at at Cincinnati, I believe. He had a great college career, but then there was always the intrigue of these young kids who no one kind of knew about, right? It was the Darius Miles and all of these guys. But Kenyon Martin clearly was the best player in, co- in collegiate basketball. But there was always this intrigue. And then I remember the following year, Kwame Brown was the number one pick. And I thought, okay, this is going to be the shift now from this point yeah. moving forward. I, I, I remember because it was like right at the time I retired, and I thought, wow, like now we're just drafting players on potential. And suddenly, you know, we're going to start drafting players and have to develop players, which is something we never have, we've never had to do in the NBA. 
so to bring it back to the Lakers, right? To bring it back to the Lakers, to bring it back to Russell. After two years, they gave up on him. Do you think well, they I don't gave think up they on gave, him? Well, I don't think they you, gave up on him. I, I, I just think now, <laughs> look, let, let's just be, you know, here when I, when I said I wanted to get into this business, I wanted to tell it like it is. This, is, this business is a different business now. It's a different business than what I played in. It's a different business when I was an executive. It's, it's a different business when I first started doing the representation side of the business. Because the things that I see now and that's required of us now in this business in all fields of sports is different because of the youth. Look, they had, the Lakers are a team or an organization traditionally where winning has always been the, the, that's always been first, second, and third within that franchise. When they had an opportunity to get LeBron James, they had a shift, right? They went from developing players like all of the other organizations to suddenly now they have a player here where they felt that they can win and build around and do it kind of in the now. So, I don't think it was a mistake. I don't think it was, you know, did they give up on these players because you have to allow young players to develop. And the only way a young player can develop is they have to be able to develop and play and perform good, bad, or indifferent on the floor. That's not going to happen okay. with a player of his magnitude. That's not going to happen. So you don't, so, you don't so you, go to so – you, So are you telling me that – a year ahead of LeBron's free agency, the Lakers looked in the mirror. They looked at D'Angelo Russell and said, you know what? We're going to start the process of clearing the decks and becoming financially flexible to bring in LeBron and then other stars with him. We don't see a future for Russell here in that situation. We don't want to be in a position where we need to extend his contract. We're going to move him for contracts that are going to come off the books, which of course became Brooke Lopez who, as we've talked about, is now reborn with Milwaukee. I guess what I'm trying to get to here is just I'm looking at a lot of these Laker moves from Russell to Lopez to trading Zubac to the uh, Clippers for Mike Muscala. None of them are working well. So I'm just looking at this Laker decision-making well, it, front office trying to figure out what's going on. Okay, so you say it's not working well. Okay, so let, let's, look at the, let's look at the one situation here with D'Angelo Russell. You have D'Angelo Russell and you have Lonzo Ball. Yep. Right? They took Russell, okay. they took Russell obviously well ahead of Ball. Okay. And, and then they drafted and then they drafted Lonzo Ball, number two. Now, I don't know how many people back then would have said, Oh, D'Angelo Russell is that much better than Lonzo Ball. Raise your hand. <laughs> I don't okay. I don't know how many players, okay, would have said, you know, Zubak was the answer and we're playing small ball. I, 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 don't, I don't see those executives. I don't see those executives and those people who are saying Zubak sure. is the answer to small ball. And I don't see those same executives or same basketball expert, experts. And, you know, for the record, we should know we, we work with, I work with uh, uh, Lopez those same executives, when it was time for him to become a free agent, I didn't see the door pounding down to, to draft, you know, Brooke Lopez. 
and say that he's going to be the, the guy that's going to be shooting threes. Sure. Yes. I, don't, I didn't sure. see that then. It's easy for me now to come on and sit behind a microphone and start pointing fingers. But I was there when all the other 29 teams had the same opportunity to knock the door down and say then what they felt. But it's easy to say now when the guy is playing with a potential MVP, their first in the Eastern Conference, and Brooke Lopez, to his credit, has completely transformed his game from because when he came in this league, he was a low post threat, and now he's a three point threat. So I didn't yeah. see all of those people then, and I'm not going to believe them now. So I take offense of when we start blaming people because I, I was there. I, I've been there the whole time since this kid came in the league I'm, in 2008. I'm, I'm not. I'm not blaming, and I now, completely a, a, understand. A, well, one but, sec, one sec. It's so easy to second guess. I'm just, I'm just looking at moves. Trying to figure out the logic behind them, and seeing and trying to figure out where this this organization is going, as they have LeBron James at the back end of his prime at a at this level only for a certain amount of time. So I'm just trying to figure out where they're taking things. And well, obviously it, this it, Russell thing has been out there, and I wanted to talk about it. Yeah, it's. Well, I I think it, I to me it's obvious where they're taking it. Is they have a player that's committed to them for four years, and they're, they're committed to building a team around that player. Now, the question is whether it's in his prime or at the tail end of his prime or what have you, can they put together a team within a four-year period that's going to complement who he is currently as a player, who he is right now? doesn't matter what he did two years ago, three years ago, who he was last year, can they put together a team? And that is the task at hand. Now, when he came here, he knew exactly what he was getting into. It wasn't yep. like he came with someone else. They had a young team. They had they knew exactly what they he in particular him. You know, right? He, I mean, he's a veteran player. He knew exactly what he was getting into. Now, the the, the they have to figure out. When I say they, the organization has to figure out what is the best route that they're going to take to build a team around this player who's clearly in his now. He's currently who he is and it's going to be for the next two or three years. Now, I don't know how they're going to do it. You know, clearly they've looked at trade players. Are they going to do it in free agency? Are they going to do it? Are they going to develop the players from within? But they have made that commitment to him. Now we have three more years. To f they have three more years to figure it out. So, you know, we can look about the we can look at, you know, the players that they've traded away. But when in looking at it, how else you're going to acquire a player of financial? I'm just looking at it from a business. You had to clear the space financially to even acquire him. So business wise, they had to do that to get him. Now, has it worked out and they've gotten the results that they're clearly looking for? No, that's an obvious no. But in order it went, to it went it went worst but, case scenario across the board, unfortunately. Yeah, but, for that. but I don't think anyone, any general manager, you, me included, okay, who are playing couch gym at the moment, would if LeBron James or a player of that magnitude said they wanted to come, we wouldn't figure out how to uh, how to, you know, get the cap space to acquire that player. And we would have sure. probably have we probably would have had to do the same exact thing if we would have had 
an opportunity to get LeBron James, I don't think we would have said, no, well, no, I don't think uh, we that won't work for us. I don't think we would have I, I, I guess I guess what I'm trying to wrap my head around, and we'll, we'll, we'll end it here, is, you know, you obviously want to have a roster of young talent you're developing when you're bringing in someone LeBron like that, and then you got to make a decision, am I shipping guys out to get more vets? Am I clearing space that way? But all I'm going to say is, and it's easy to sit here from my 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 armchair, okay. Never a huge Lonzo Ball fan. Loved Russell's game at Ohio State. They could have had D'Angelo Russell and Jason Tatum on the roster for when LeBron arrived. That's all I'm saying. What happens after that happens after that. But that that's that could have been the scenario for the Lakers. And I have a feeling this is a conversation we'll be going back to. But you finish it off with a thought, and then we'll pivot. Well, yeah. I mean, look, when you're, when you're putting together a team, when you're putting together a team, a lot of things has to happen right for many of the players. And what I mean by that, there aren't many players which, for better or for worse, you know, we, we, we give the terminology a standalone player. You know, it didn't matter where you drop a Michael Jordan off or Akeem Olajuwon or Larry Bird or, you know, some of these players, it just, they don't, it, it doesn't really matter. You, they're just standalone players. They are, Kevin Durant is going to be able to score wherever. You know, Tim Duncan was going to be great no matter what. But some of the players yep. need, the, need the right fit. And Jason Tatum is a kid, that was the right fit for him. That was the right fit. It was just the right fit for him. And it's not to say he won't evolve into that player, but at some, some time you just get the right fit. You know, Donovan Mitchell, that was the right fit for him. It's not to say that he won't evolve into a standalone player, but that was the right situation for his talent at the moment. You know, Scottie Pippen, you know, was he no, a you're top spot on. player? You're, you're, you're spot on. We talk, we talk yeah, yeah, about yeah. settings, we, settings you, and you, culture you, it, and environment all the time. It, it, it's and, easy. And, th and those are yeah. guys. Those are those guys. Are guys. Sure. Those are guys. But Jason Tatum had a terrific rookie year, and he showed glimpses that he could be that player. He could be. He could be that yep. player. But it's going to be very hard for him to be that player playing alongside Kyrie Irving. And it's going to be very hard for him to be that player playing alongside Al Horford. It's going to be very hard for him to be that player, but he showed glimpses that we all saw, and he contributed to a winning team, which gets us excited. But that doesn't mean yeah. that he's ready to do that night in and night out for 82 games plus the playoffs right now. That's too much of a responsibility on a young kid. Somehow, some way, the San Antonio Spurs have now climbed to the middle of the Western Conference standings. And Coach Popovich continues to just reinvent this team at every turn, whether it's after Kawhi leaves, whether it's injuries, whether it's figuring out how to make LaMarcus Aldridge a, a leader out there. Uh, they've been terrific at home. They're actually under 500 on the road. They're terrific at home. They're surging in the West. Um, you know, our, our producer, Bruce Bernstein, loves to call them the New England Patriots of the NBA. What are your thoughts on this job, this team uh, that Pop is doing with, with the Spurs right now? 
you know, uh, being a being an ex player, this league is always about talent. It always will be about talent, and I think every great coach who's you know coached in this league or been an executive, you have to keep the focus on the the, the people who are actually performing. And when I look at that team, I look at two players who are playing exceptionally well right now, LaMarcus Aldridge and DeMar DeRozan. You know, both LaMarcus is having another all-star year, um, and he's playing the center position, which to me is like, it's very interesting because he's always been a power forward, but now he's playing the center position because the league has changed. Yep. I look at DeMar DeRozan and what he's doing, he's – being DeMar DeRozan, I mean, you have two guys who can who are capable of getting you 30 a night in this league, okay, at any given night. They, they have a nice set of role players who are filling in, doing their job, and they're surrounded by professionals. And if you play hard and, you, and you're prepared, now Coach, Coach Popovich and his staff, bar none, they're, they're always prepared to play. I mean, he, he does a masterful job of coaching the team and having his guys prepared. Now, I'll give them that, but I don't want to take away anything that those players are doing because every time I watch them, they're doing the two things that's required that you have to do as a player. You have to give the effort and the energy every single night. And when I watched them play the other night against the Golden State Warriors, I mean, I was just, in, I was just shocked and amazed at the effort and energy in which they play with during a regular season game for 48 minutes. That was one of the best efforts I've seen all year. And when you see a team give that type of effort and energy, you know what? You goes, this is a team full of professionals. I, so I give Popovich credit for always being a professional, always demanding that the players find from within the effort and energy necessary to, to compete in the game, let alone win a game. And I'll, I'll give them that. But that team is, an, is a talented team. I think it's so – they're not sexy. They don't have the storylines. They're not the team that's, you know, I think Popovich, you know, you know, when they asked him after the game, after the Warriors game, he was like, we won a game. <laughs> that's all it is. And I think yep. he is brutally honest with how he approaches the game, and I think the players respect that. You know what? If you perform, you play. If you don't, you come sit next to him and next guy up. So I, I, I just think he is a – I don't even want to call him a throwback. I just think – that's what this game was all about. It's about performing, and he demands performance. He's probably one of the last guys who, you know, coached in that old era before we, you know, now we're into pace and space. You know, the, the, the Spurs, they're not one of those teams. They just play fundamental sound basketball. And he, he just, he, just he, he, he figures out the formula with whatever deck of cards he's dealt. I mean, DeJounte Murray goes down before the season with an ACL. Paul Gasol is now with Milwaukee because he wanted to be bought out and, and go to a team that was, uh, you know, contending even more so. Aldridge and DeRozan have had to reinvent themselves around each other. And then, he, you know, he's getting just steady effort and production from guys like Bryn Forbes. It's, it, it's really impressive. And as you said, you know, it's not so much a throwback, but it's, it's that just ability to maximize every piece he's have and be that tactician and there's still nobody better at that in in the sport and arguably in in sports anywhere it's 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 yeah, really I mean, incredible yeah, 
And he does. And, and, but I, I'm telling you, you know what? Don't underestimate what LaMarcus is doing. When you have a guy you can throw the ball to, you can go get 30, 40, 50 points in a game. And LaMarcus is still capable of doing that at a high level, especially at the center position. Yeah. You know, you, and efficiently. You put him in, yeah, I mean, so look, no disrespect to anyone that's sitting on the sideline, but I think every great coach, right, I think every great coach will tell you, you know, you can have the greatest game plan and all those things, but it's meaningless unless you have the players who can actually go out and execute it. And they have two yep. pretty darn good basketball players who can play this game at a high level, uh, whether it's a regular season in the fourth quarter or in the playoffs, and who who are proven scorers. So I think that helps, and you know, and I think he surrounded himself with professionals. Popovich, at this stage of his career, reminds me of Pat Riley when he went to uh, to the Knicks. You know, hmm. with the Knicks. With the with the Lakers, it was Showtime. It was it was all of the flash and the the, the glitz of L.A. When he went to New York, those guys were just grinding out and they played hard every single night. And when you played a New York Knicks team in the in the in the '90s or early '90s, you had to match their effort and energy. Forget about the game plan; you just had to match their energy, or else you had no chance to beat them. They were the best conditioned team, and that's what I see with this with this San Antonio team, they're just bringing the effort and energy every single night, and they just play hard. They don't have the best talent. You look at their roster, they don't have the best talent. They don't have one through 12. They're, they're, they're not nowhere near where you look at the Warriors or the Celtics, but they play hard, and you have to play, you have to match their effort and energy just to compete. So, Western Conference, and, and we've said this, and now we're right in the middle of it, right? The NBA has been going through its own kind of March madness every year with how close these standings are. So the Spurs have, the Spurs have been surging. They've won 9 of 10. There's a three-way tie right now between 6 and 8. 42 and 40 are the Spurs. They've won 9 of 10. The Clippers, they've won 8 of 10. And the Oklahoma City Thunder, who were up as high as the three seed, have now dropped down. They're in a three-way tie for six, seven, and eight with the Spurs and the Clippers. The Thunder are reeling. They've lost six of ten. They've lost four in a row. Russell Westbrook misses a game because he picks up his 16th technical and is suspended for a game. Um, is this team is this team in some trouble right now? I think this is a, a case of, of life in the Western Conference. You know, they were playing very well just, what, three, four months, three, four weeks ago when we were talking about, you know, there was a lot of chit-chatter, especially in the media, about Paul George being MVP of this league. How quickly things change in this league. And, and you have to understand, especially in the Western Conference, you know, there isn't a, a huge difference between the eighth-placed team and the seventh place team I think the only team that stands head and shoulders above are the Golden State Warriors I think they are as of as of today as of today as we are recording this as we fly through the Western Conference segment here on the Pure Hoops podcast the Houston Rockets are the third seed behind the Nuggets and the Warriors with 27 losses between Houston and Oklahoma Clippers and Spurs who are tied for six through eighth, it's three games in the loss column. Yeah, you've got six 
you've got six teams separated by three games in the loss column. So the standings are now going to change each and every night, possibly for the rest of the season in terms of home court and these matchups and the seesaw. But as you said it, Oklahoma was rolling. And now because of the nature of the top eight in the West, they've fallen. This could change in five days. But as we sit right now, if the playoffs started today, the, the Thunder are looking up and they're in a daunting matchup with one of the top teams in the West in the first round if, if the playoffs started today. Well, well, they are. And, and I think the, the, the great thing about the Thunder, if we take the, you know, look at the positive, I'm sure Russell and Paul George and that group, there isn't a team out there in the Western Conference they don't, that they fear or that they say they can't beat in the playoffs. And I'm sure whoever they play in the playoffs is going to have the same respect for them because Russell Westbrook and Paul George are very capable of winning a series. I don't care who they're playing in the playoffs. They're, 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 that's nothing to play with, those two guys. If I were the Warriors playing them in the AC, that's not, a, that's not a, you know, one of those games. They're going to win a couple of games, <laughs> okay? They're going to win sure. a couple of games in that series. Because they, they, they're, they're, they're too good and they're too talented not to win. So even though they've lost these games in the regular season, that's okay. I still know that this is a very capable team. And there are Houston, Denver, there are a lot of teams here who feel that they could, sur- they could supplant the, the Warriors this year in the Western Conference. Yep. Th- this is going to be very, very competitive throughout the playoffs, especially in the Western Conference. And this is going to be a tough one because there are a lot of teams now. The Rockets still feel that they could have beaten the Warriors last year. If, you know, they they feel that they were one game away. Uh, This Nuggets team, these young guys, hey, you get up there playing at that altitude, anything can happen, okay? And they're playing – they're playing and, well, and, and they you, are they are tied. They are tied with the Warriors in the loss column, and you you segue perfectly. Nikola Jokic, watching him earlier this week, carve up the Celtics defense. Uh, th- this guy has, to me, reinvented the center position. He's playing point center. I mean, he's doing stuff that we used to hear the, the myths about Sabonis overseas and Walton before the injury. And we talk about guys reinventing the game, Steph Curry, James Harden, obviously LeBron and Durant. But, BJ, have you seen anything like this guy in Jokic? Well, yeah. I mean, you, you, you've seen a lot of players, you know, who could play. And, you know, you, you, you saw the players like, you know, the, the Dan Issels and all of these guys. And they could they could play and they could you know do things especially on the perimeter. Now, what, what I think what makes him unique is now we have a league where we're putting a lot of emphasis on three point shooting, and we're putting a lot of emphasis on small ball, and we have a bigger man who has the skill set to play. The one thing that's interesting about him is you know there are certain players even though they're not athletes you can't speed them up. And there was a player that uh, I always thought was interesting, Andre Miller, who played many mm. years in this league. He wasn't the fastest so player. He Such wasn't the most explosive player, but you couldn't speed him up. You know, one of my favorite players 
who who did the same thing was Mark Jackson. <laughs> you know, yes. You, know, he, you couldn't speed him up. You know, if you remember the late Dennis Johnson, you could never speed him up. You know, he wasn't moving fast, but you could speed and quickness doesn't bother him. And Jokic, yep. he's not moving fast at all, right? But he, the game, he he seems to have a way of playing fast without going fast. And you can't speed him up, and he seems to f- have figured that out. I don't. It's like he's moving at about forty-five degree, forty-five miles per hour, and everyone else is moving at seventy-five miles per hour. But somehow he seems to get there at the same time you get there. He never yep. moves fast. He never panics. He's constantly. He's always within himself, and, and he has and figured his, out his his ability to position that big body and at times looks clumsy but he's yeah. incredibly he's incredibly coordinated yeah incredibly so, I mean, coordinated yeah he just he just kind of plays at that pace now you, you know he he's kind of the first big that you you know that i've seen play this way you know he like you know I, yeah. i've seen guards but he's kind of the first big who's moving slow you know if you, if you ever watch the guy he's just lugging up and down the court right <laughs> but he gets there he doesn't jump for there. rebounds, but he gets it. I don't know. But, he, how, but he's he, but he's there. He's, he's there. there. I mean, he doesn't explode over you, but he's so crafty that you're afraid to try to block his shot because he's going up and under. He's doing all of these things. And then, you know, he'll put his body on you. So he just kind of moves around a little bit, but he's a very unique player. I, I can't wait to see him play in the playoffs because I want to see how it translates. I really yep. want to see how yep. his game translates. But in the regular season, he is a load. He is tough to guard. He's, he, he, you know, he has a little nastiness with him, too. And I, I really like him. I like how he plays. I like how you can you – can, the one thing that, that I think all coaches appreciate about him is the easiest place to swing the ball from one side of the floor to the other is through your center position. And I yep. think that's what right, brought about right, right all of the – Right at that, right at that high post sweet spot. Yeah, because you, how many centers can actually deny, you know, when they they lag it back to him, lag it back through him, and I yep. think that's what makes the Warriors so effective when they go to their to their death lineup is they can swing the ball through their center. So Jokic is one of those players that he has found his rhythm, he's found his niche in this league. And he's unique because not only he can play on the perimeter and shoot threes and do all those things, but he can actually play on the low post. So, you know, he's just a very unique player, and I'm really excited to see how it's going to translate because it's going to be a different game. And I think he has the ability and he has the physicality to do both, and uh, I'm excited for them because they've had a great regular season. Back to the 90s we go. Today's 90s segment was just an anniversary of this earlier in the week. March 19th, 1995, Michael Jordan announces, I'm back, returning to the Bulls from his first retirement where he uh, retired in the fall of 93 following the first three-peat. So, BJ... For you, that was your your last season with the Bulls. You're MJ's teammate. You're his friend. What was it like for you, the team in Chicago, when MJ announced, I'm back in 1995? Well, you know, everything that happened so 
abruptly. You know, he retired abruptly. You know, there was a lot going on, not only on the court, but off the court uh, at that particular time. And the biggest thing for for me is just to be a good friend. And we all wanted to be a good friend because we were losing a friend. You know, the basketball player, the Michael Jordan that everyone saw, I mean, that was that was the obvious. But behind the scenes, you saw someone who was struggling with things that were swirling on around him at that time, at that particular time with his family and his personal life. And that was the one part that, you know, no one could really see, but other than the people that were close to him and behind the scenes. And um, I was fortunate enough to, you know, you know, not, you know, not, I wasn't a fan of Michael. I was a friend. And uh, to this day, he's still a friend. So, you know, I, I was just always concerned about him and how he was dealing with that situation. And I, I remember when he retired, um, I remember we all sat there and, and I remember we all talked about the two most dangerous things that a person can have, free time and money. And he had an abundance of both now. <laughs> all right. And that was that was the theme of the uh, of the meeting. Like, what are you going to do with all this free time? And clearly you have enough money you can't spend. So it's going to require you have a you know, it's going to require something more of you than, you know, most don't have to deal with. Uh, and he was very aware of that. He was he was very keen on, you know, his surroundings and his environment. Uh, when he came back, I I remember he called me. Uh, I think he had just came back like sometime in the midwinter or sometime. And he told me he was in town and we used to always go eat breakfast at this place called, I don't even know if they're still in business called Baker square. And we would go and he was like, Hey, what are you doing? I was like, Hey, I'm about to go to practice. What are you doing? <laughs> and He was like, let's go to breakfast. I was like, Oh, you in town? He was like, yeah. So we went to Baker square. We had our normal pancakes and we were just sitting there and, and uh, he was like, what do you think if I came by practice? Do you think it'd be a distraction? I was like, no man, everyone would love to see you. And it'd be good for us. It'd be good for the morale of the team. Everybody'd be great to see you. And he was like, "No, I don't want to be a distraction. I don't want you know cause a stir." I was like, "Why don't you just come by, and just say hello?" And everybody, it'd be good for you to be in the building. It'd be good for you to be around the guys. And he came by practice, and uh, we walked in together, and we came by. And as I was getting tape, you know, we we couldn't help ourselves. We started talking trash. And one thing led to another, and suddenly we went from having breakfast to just coming into the building to all of a sudden saying, let's play a one-on-one. And I was fully dressed for practice, and he still had his shoes on, and we started playing a one-on-one. After, hmm. he, he's, after we started playing one-on-one, I'm ready for I'm – I'm playing against him – like we start, you know, first it was like a joke. Ah, oh, now you can't guard me, whatever. I was like, ah, oh, you old now, you can't play, da da da. And we're just talking. We go from playing to like a full lather. And when we look up, we realize that everyone was just kind of watching because we were playing, and he was like right back. He was just he just fell right back into his rhythm, right back there. Everyone was great to see him. 
for better or for worse, I lost that game, Eric. I, I, I admit that. I'm not happy about <laughs> that, that. I that lost was, that, that game. That was, that was going to be was, one yeah, of my I did lose that game, and I'm still upset about that. I lost to a man <laughs> as a professional, and he was still in his street shoes. <laughs> but if I had to lose to one, Michael would be the person, yeah. right? He was still trying to hit. He was still trying to hit off speed pitches. So I know it was. Uh, is, so my question is: Was that the beginnings of the return to the floor that happened in March of '95? Was that the I first? I don't step? know if that was the beginning, but I certainly, I think he realized that you know what, hey, you know what, this is this. I mean, that's the place he built. You know, I mean. I just think he probably needed us as much as we needed him. And, you know, it wasn't a day that we didn't you know, miss him or think about him. Because, I mean, he's – he, besides being a wonderful basketball player and an incredible, you know, what he's achieved individually, Michael was a, was a great teammate. And he was always fun. He was always one of the guys. And he took pride in being a good teammate. So – and we all felt comfortable with him. He felt comfortable with us. And we knew that he was Jordan and he had his things to deal with, but he respected us as, you know, guys on the team. And it worked. For whatever reason, it just worked. And it worked for, you know, the organization understood. It was just an understanding that we all knew. We all kind of grew up together, you know. It wasn't like he came in as Jordan. You know, he grew into that. He grew into mm-hmm. what he needed to do as a star in this in this league, and we all kind of grew into. We knew what it when it meant to be role players in this league. You know, stars had to be stars, and role players had to play their role. But we all had to be great in order for us to have a great team. And I think that was the understanding that we had and the balance that we had uh, for people who so played how, in Chicago. So how did he? How did he share with you guys before it went public? How did he share? Or how did the conversation go down? I'm coming back. Well, I, I, if I remember correctly, I, 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 I think what we did was I think me, him, Phil, and Scotty, I think Horace, Bill, and all of the guys. Well, Horace, who had no, played. Horace, Horace was gone. Was Horace is gone. Was Horace gone? It was Horace gone. Yeah, Horace was gone. Horace was remember, with Orlando. Yeah, Horace had left. That's right. Um, but I remember all of us kind of just talked and I remember thought you know what hey if, if something if you want to do it um, we're still here but I think the, the the brilliant part of all of this the brilliant part of all of this is that you know Jerry Reinsdorf the owner continued to pay him even though he was out because he all mm. I don't know if he always knew that he was going to possibility to come back but he always gave himself and I said if he ever wanted to come back You'll always have this, you know. You, you, this was you'll always have an opportunity. So the genius in all of this was to me, Jerry Reinsdorf always gave him the opportunity to come back home whenever he felt it was time for him because of what he was dealing with. That to me was thinking ahead, and we were glad for our friend to come back. We were just happy to see him back playing and talking and doing the things that we've all come to grow and uh, to, to, you know, to know him and over the years that we all grew as young people back then. But the genius of all of this was that Jerry kept that option open for him. Yep. And when he was ready, he did come back. And I, and I remember we just kind of talked about it. 
he, he thought about it. I don't think he said he what he was going to do, but I think we kind of just found out. We knew without really knowing, but I think it was it was, you know, we thought it was pretty cool at that time. You know that he sent a fax, which I thought was like was cutting edge technology back then. <laughs> That's hilarious. So I, I think it would be comparable today. Yeah, I think I think it was comparable now to like sending a tweet or something, right, or social media. But that's, I remember that's that's, that's amazing. So so la- last 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 question before we wrap it. What what was the reaction like in Chicago when it was official? Do you remember what that excitement yeah, well, and buzz felt like? Well, it went like? from yeah. Well, the the media was back. The excitement was back, and you know the one thing that I remember most was how his attitude had changed, his appreciation for like the small things of just being around the guys, being on the bus, uh, going out to dinner, those things which you know you just kind of going into a routine. You know you're always around each other. You just get into the routine. You just kind of like become mundane of just, but. It was like he had a new appreciation for all of the things that he experienced in, 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 in baseball. And it brought like a fresh energy or a positive spin on something that we had just, you know, you know, you just grow so tired of getting on another bus, another hotel, another per diem, hmm. another practice where he was just like, you know, he had a he had a, a new look on life, if you will. So that new energy uh was was great uh the one that you know i think was kind of weird for all of us he wore like 45 i believe when he first came back or something like that i yep. think he wore like a yep he wore 45. So that was he, that was kind of weird to see him in that number you know you're passing the ball ahead to 45 instead of 23 but other than that he, he just had a new spirit about him and i think it took some time for him to get in what, what we call basketball shape you know, obviously he was a phenomenal athlete, but you know, when you take that much time off, you're not going to just jump right into it. But he was—he showed spurts. You know, he showed spurts. You know, whether it was in the garden when he had 55 points, and he showed spurts, but it just wasn't enough time that he had to get himself into that type of shape where he could just dominate a game for 48 minutes plus. And he just needed the summer to kind of work that through, and then they went on. Uh, to win three more championships but other than that it was it was great to have him back in the city and it was like you know uh, everyone was so excited when he came back and you know that you could you could feel the energy in the air a very very special time my friend uh guess what we just finished our 10th episode oh wow congratulations happy happy anniversary buddy happy Happy anniversary (laughs) that was quick it was quick, man. We got here quick. It's been uh, it's been a great first stanza, as they say, a great act one. Uh, building building this show with you, and of course, Pure Hoops Media. All right, let's go. Time to stick the landing. Another episode of the books, the Pure Hoops podcast. Special thanks, of course, to B.J. Armstrong, our producer Bruce Bernstein, Jeff Torini, and the entire Pure Hoops media team. Be sure to check out purehoopsmedia.com. We've got updated content on there for March Madness as the website is live. Enjoy the content. Enjoy the show. Have a great weekend, everybody. Catch you next week. The Pure Hoops podcast is a presentation of Pure Hoops Media.